This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050, WTKA, online at WTKA.com. Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub, and the MGO Blog Roundtable crew back with us uh, as we talk about the Portal Edition. Maybe the Wolverines will be able to chase another. We will also kind of get into, do we have to adjust, adjust our expectation for a level of competition as I give a nod first to Seth Fisher. How you doing, man? I gotta, I gotta start with Seth because when we were when we were last all together, he said, you, you, you're just not dealing in reality, Sam. Yeah, yeah, of course we should want to keep Eric Backage. Mm-hmm. Of course he's a really good coach. You cannot compete with Clemson when it comes to college baseball. It, the, 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 uh, the ACC, the South, uh, the how va- how baseball is valued on that campus, you cannot compete if you're Michigan with that. Seth Fisher, you're right. I I'm I'm not happy about it. <laughs> it's I I do want to amend some of what I was saying because I was pushing really hard for summer baseball and uh, really did not appreciate. I got a, a bunch of people from the baseball world who contacted me afterwards and they're like, dude. Summer baseball is a big deal. Like they they play semi pro ball, and those leagues I never care about because they don't take a place around here. So I never even met. You know, like, who wants to go and play in Maine? But apparently that's a big deal to the prospects. So like you, I think that college baseball could replace that if they really tried. I th- think that it'd be a lot easier to, to package Michigan baseball and put it on BTN than it is to like you know have these summer leagues. But they've been going on over a hundred years and. Replacing that structure is a little bit more than I made it out to be. A lot more well, than I made it out to be. I, I, I don't know. I think replacing that structure is a good idea. And 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 it's eminently doable. And they can go on with whatever way they want. But in fact, it would be better for Michigan. It'd be better for the Big Ten. It'd be better for most of the country if, if, if they continued having college baseball in the summer, wood bats, and which is one of the uh, big deals in the New England leagues, uh, wood bats, beer, summer baseball at night, crowds, you make money. Uh, it's a no brainer. Uh, but for some reason, the big 10 is too gutless to actually do it, but (laughs) that's what it comes down to. That voice is from the venerable Craig Ross, as you hear me just, uh, introduce him all the time. So good morning, Craig. One thing before you get to the star of the show, the, um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, last week you and I did golf, Sam, and Correct. and did you get any calls from the pro golf tour or even live 
about being a pro golf commentator? I did. I, I, I joked that, man, I t- I've talked more golf in the past <laughs> in the past two months than I have the however many years I've been on the air here combined. That's how much golf we've talked in. But it's it's an it's an intriguing topic. And and there's actually there's actually a correlation to Michigan that I want to get to here. Uh, shortly, but no, Craig, I didn't get, I didn't get any. I, I actually call. did. I, I got a call. They told me, man, you're just too noisy and you're, you, you don't know how to whisper. You know, you're an idiot. So no, we're not hiring you. So that's how it went. <laughs> well, but it was interesting to talk about golfer to do or be a part of that. So thanks. Yeah. Well, forget whoever it is that told you that. <laughs> uh, also have to bring in Mr. Mgo blog himself, Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? <clears throat> Good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So let's let's jump right into the news of the edition. This was the name that when we said Jet, who are you looking at? Who are you talking to? Who are you trying to get to come to Michigan? The first name he mentioned was Joey Baker. Joey Baker is in the fold now. Uh, Duke transfer to Michigan. So what do you make of that addition, Mister Cook? Well, he's six foot six. He played in the ACC, <clears throat> ten minutes a game, uh, career thirty eight percent three point shooter, and he's a guy who. I don't think he's going to be relied on for heavy minutes, but he can give you 15 off the bench as a bench shooter, and that's something that the team really needed. So he fills the spot as a backup, too. I don't I don't think at this point in his career you're looking for a breakout or anything, but he's a guy who was a top 40 recruit at one point, um, probably has a little bit of skill, but mostly he's going to absorb shots and knock them down at a high rate. You think it's reasonable to expect him to be a shooting upgrade to Caleb? Um, well, is it a home game or a road game? (laughs) (laughs) Bad bad news. He, he has the same exact splits. I think he's like 27% on the road and 46% on the, at home. Like this this is a, (laughs) his numbers are not real thick right now. He has, you know, 10 minutes a game for the duration of his career. Didn't really play a lot in the NCAA tournament. Not a guy that Duke really wanted to rely on, but. As a guy who comes off your bench and is a functional player, I think he's a good pickup. And, uh, you know, you, you get in a system, you have a big that's going to help you, that can find you open on the perimeter, and you will get some open looks and change the scenery. Often that can lead to a resurgence for a guy or innocent. I mean, he's, uh, what do you, you say, resurgence? Where was he to begin with, right? So um, I'm curious what you, what you make of this edition, Craig. Well, it's sensible. I mean, you have to, I worry a bit in that he played five minutes in the opener in the NCAA tournament and then zero minutes for the rest, for the rest of the NCAAs. So now Duke was in a pure six man rotation. That was an injury. Uh, that was his injury. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, but Duke for most of the year was pretty much in a six man rotation anyway. And so they, uh, uh, you know, but it's it's a yeah it's a little concerning maybe but I he's he doesn't have the upside that Caleb Houston has that's for sure I think uh, but I do I do believe that he'll be a functional piece for Michigan and I think it makes sense from both sides. One thing Brian said when we were talking last week, not on radio, um, was that hey if Adrian Nunez could shoot, would he have played? And I think. The answer to that is yes. Even with his limitations defensively, if he could have knocked down threes, he would have played. And I'm guessing Joey Baker can knock down threes, so I think he's going to play. 
it makes sense to put shooters around uh, Hutch, uh, Aiden, uh, 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 our, our, Hunter Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson, sorry. <laughs> It makes sense to put uh, shooters around him. So yes, uh, I'm I'm all in favor of this particular uh, choice. Seth Fisher. Uh, yeah. Well, the hip injury that knocked him out of the playoffs is a bit of a concern because how much is he going to be back from that? Is that going to sap any of his defense? Now he was a top forty recruit, and so he had and he has some length to him. He's actually got some pretty long arms. So defensively, he could be a plus if he's all healed from that. If he's not, then you might actually be looking at Adrian Nunez on defense. And I, you know, I, we, we talk about just the shooters all the time. It's kind of like one of our memes in basketball coverage. And we wanted Michigan to have a guy on the roster like that, especially last year when they really had some spacing issues. And I think he's going to fit well. Like when you need, you're going to need to pull Jed off the court. You're going to have to like talk to, you know, the true freshman <clears throat> cannot be asked to go out there and play 35 minutes a game. So you're going to need some backup. You need some minutes at that uh, at that spot, and I really like the look of that lineup because you know Hunter can step out, but if you have uh, Williamson at the uh, you know you have TW at the four, he can shoot a three, right? So now you have spacing everywhere. That's going to create just I mean it's it's going to be very hard to to, to double off of Hunt, on on Hunter because everyone out there is going to be able to shoot, and that was something they didn't really have last year. Yeah, so I think that, again, I always preface my comments about Caleb saying I'm not trying to diminish, disparage, or, or denigrate him in any way, but I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Joey Baker to at least be to at least be what, what Caleb was. Now, can, can he be better than what Caleb was last year? Can he be what we hoped Caleb would be this year from a shooting perspective? Uh, is a question. Michigan clearly uh, betting on his health, to your point, Seth. I think they probably looked into that a decent clip uh, before they agreed to bring him on and, and feel like it's, uh, you know, it's it's likely that he is going to be totally healed and, and ready to go. And you talk about a guy who hasn't really been in the system, who uh, clearly got buried on a roster on top of that. You give him some new life when you say, hey, man, all you got to do is knock down open looks on a, in a system where, hey, you know, we, it's, it's designed to create those. Looks. We aren't just throwing the ball, you know, to our talented five-star and saying, go get it. That's not how it's going to work here. I, and, hey, you happen to be moving him from a, from a scenario where you know there had to be loads of pressure. Michigan looked at Joey Baker initially, and they were like, but there's no way we're going to get a dude out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, to leave Duke of Carolina. Can you imagine? being from there, playing there, and not doing well there, what kind of pressure that must have been to get out of that, I think is another thing that could maybe help infuse some life into his game here in his, his final term. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting huge things here. Like, if, you're, if you've been around the Duke program for four years and you're shooting 40% from three and you're not really getting minutes, there's some issues, I bet, because... Duke is not a team that's loaded up with shooters on an annual basis, right? Like, that's one of their problems. Kentucky and Duke often have the same problem where they just have some dude chucking it at 25% from the perimeter because he just came out of high school and he doesn't really know better than AAU ball. So <clears throat> those teams, like, <laughs> when Kentucky went out and got C.J. Frederick, I'm like, that makes a ton of sense. So I feel like Baker is probably not going to be 
a guy who you're seeing out there for 30 minutes a game, but they needed another guard. They needed a shooter. He fits the bill. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not expecting him to be a world beater either. Just a knock down open shots consistently in 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 15 to 20 minutes a game. Do that and I will consider I would consider this a really good and important move for Michigan and bringing some veteran leadership too. I mean, again, there's something to be said for a guy who while he didn't play a ton to your point was a captain at at Duke. But understand, look, when you're a shooter at Duke, that has different kind of... I mean, you better be J.J. Reddick. <laughs> if, you, if you aren't that, then you don't play. Uh, I yeah, think that's, that's kind of should, the bar. We should point out that Duke had the number one offense in the country last year on Ken Palm. So maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that this guy couldn't get on the floor for more than about 10 minutes a game. <laughs> yeah. That with was a, a tough rotation picks. to crack. Yeah, yeah. With, with a couple lottery picks in there. <laughs> As well, so yeah. you know, I, I like the pickup uh, for them for the fit on this this roster and what their needs are. Now the question is, where do they go from here? So when I checked into this, and I've been checking on it consistently. Certainly checked on it after Jet said Joey Baker, right? Other guy he mentioned was the Baylor uh, transfer who uh, came off the board shortly after that. As a matter of fact, but. Um, I heard, yeah, Joey Baker is definitely a legit target and then an international target. The international target uh, found out a week or so later wound up being Yusef Hyatt. So Yusef Hyatt. Now, why did I ask about what's going on with the poor? Why was I digging into that? Because there continues to be this buzz, not from the program, but on the, you know, word on the street, I'll call it that something's going on with Amani Bates. Now, I know conversations have been had about Amani Bates, uh, but nothing uh, nothing it, close to it being a done deal like some of the, uh, some of the scuttlebutt uh, has been suggesting that's, uh, that's out there. I'm curious what you guys make of Yusef Hyatt and then, of course, of all the ongoing Imani Bates talk. Well, um, you're not just recruiting Imani Bates. You're recruiting his dad. <laughs> and I don't want his dad associated with anything I like. <laughs> I don't even like him in Ypsilanti. Like, that's too close. <laughs> I was happiest when he was committed to Michigan State. I was like, yes, do it. Go there. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that there are challenges to recruiting a, a star caliber kid like that, and, and he's at home. Uh, and there are clearly some some friction there on the on the penny side the details of which i don't know but it, it does make you have to survey if you're juan howard you know kit and i'm sure you know penny i'm sure you know rasheed i'm sure you know you know all the coaches and i'm sure you're making that call to see hey what happened what was it that made that not go because you can't you can't ever just take <sighs> you know take the word from the kid or the word from his dad you gotta you have the resources to really be able to get the other side and then figure it out and, and figure out whether that's a good move for you chemistry wise. Now, we're having this discussion uh, at the same time that it's just sounding like the, the buzz is much louder than the actual talk inside the program. Again, heard about conversations, haven't heard about anything to suggest that there this is something that is actually likely to happen, Craig. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think there have been conversations. I know there have been conversations inside of the program, uh, but it doesn't sound like uh, Jawan Howard feels like this is the, 
most sensible direction to move. In particular, I think since, you know, Frankie Collins, there's a lot of noise why Frankie Collins left mm -hmm. was Frankie's dad, that he he was the mover and player. And I'm not sure how much he wants to wants to be, you know, have a parent running the program as opposed to Jawan Howard running the program. Also, Amadi yeah. Bates is terrible. No, he's not. He's terrible. No, uh, yeah, I don't think he's terrible. He's I, terrible. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Have you seen I him agree. play basketball lately? Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I he's, agree. He's a rail thin six nine wing who does not get to the basket, does not yeah. shoot well from three. He had a ninety one O rating and took a quarter of Memphis's shots when he was on the court. And they only got good when they stopped playing him. That's all true. Every, okay, that's, that's, not good basketball. I, I think, that's all 100% true. You can, but, but like, I've actually Amani Bates should go to the G League and just do nothing except work on his game, and then he'll be good when he's 25. Next year, he's going to be like a bad player. Well, I mean, I he was a ever, bad player in high school. I watched him play Frankie Collins and uh, yeah. like his like high school team, he didn't pass the ball to anybody. That and that's the, that's the issue. That is the issue. I think shot selection. Uh, is is completely off kilter, uh, and I, I think it's not a skill set thing because I think I think Samadhi Bates has an elite skill set, but how you apply it? How do you apply it if you're if you're shooting with reckless abandon? Um, that's just not going to translate to good team ball. Yeah, how's he going to fit in Michigan's concept? He yeah. can go to Arizona State. He can go <laughs> ten and twenty four with Bobby Hurley and. Uh, and Frankie, that's that's kind of his vibe. Just he needs to find someone who will roll out the ball for him and just get out of his way and not have a very good basketball team. But he doesn't yeah. fit at Michigan. I, I agree. I agree. He's been a train wreck, and he was a train wreck at 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 Memphis last year. But I I've seen I've seen him play live, and you can't look at that guy and and not say that there's their physical ability there now the fact that he has physical ability doesn't mean he helps your program or doesn't mean he can play basketball but he does have physical ability uh, and if and and if you could sort of do a you know a frankenstein on him do like a brain transplant then you know there might well, there look, might be is, something there to, yeah, to me this is a scenario Burke's brain in jeff jilson's body would have had the best in <laughs> Here's the here's the flip side of this is the the kind of scenario that Juwan Howard is supposed to be uniquely equipped to to deal with the, the kind of talent that may be uh, that may be limited by you know the the skill set that might be limited by application. Wait, wait, you know wait, that? no, I I think it's the exact opposite. There is <laughs> there is a there is a, a a gene in every single coach where they see some talented guy and be like. I'm the one. I'm the guy who can get it out of this guy. I'm the one who can perform the the brain transplant. I can teach that guy how to pass. I can teach that guy how to shoot. I am the greatest coach in the world. Therefore, I'm going to mold this into a great player. Most of the time, they're wrong. Most of the development that go that players have are is up to the players themselves. And when you Look at a guy like that. Jawan Howard has been in the NBA so long. He's seen so many of these guys come out early. He's seen so many of these people come with, with, with people around them. He knows better than anybody, probably better even than like, better than Penny because he was, spent more time in the coaching ranks, um, what that entails and what that means for your team. And he's probably the one saying no. I bet you some of his assistants are like, hey, man, all this talent – 
wants to come here and we're the best coaching staff in the uh, in, in college ball. We can teach this guy how to play. And Jawan's probably will be like, no, you can't. And no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's quite the di- I don't know if that's quite the dynamic, but I put it this way. I know that there are conversations. I, I agree with you that most coaches are often wrong. I agree with you that you have evidence that you would probably be wrong in this particular. I mean, he just came from playing for Penny and Rashid and Larry Brown, right? I mean, these are these are NBA guys that have dealt with that have dealt with uh, scenarios where you had some players that you had to kind of rein in some, right? That you had to mold more than others, and it didn't work. Now, again, you had the resources of you, Jawan Howard, to place a call or some calls and kind of figure out what really happened. But back to my original point. This is the kind of scenario that Juwan might look into a lot deeper than a lot of other coaches because he is uniquely equipped to to deal with this kind of scenario. However, that doesn't mean that he will, especially because of all of these situ- the the uh, the points that we just laid out with it not working out in Memphis. And here's the other part that would be a deterrent for me for me, unless I thought that he, I was getting 100% buy-in. Hey, but what if I want to bring you off the bench? Would you be all right with that? Right, that, that kind of thing. I mean, I would be putting scenarios like that in front of him. Why? Because I think that Jet Howard can be the guy. Like, Jet Howard has all of the ingredients to be the guy at Michigan. He has, he has game to go get offense himself. He can create for others. He is a guy that, despite growing up very, very privileged, it does not, he does not exude privilege in a way that would be obnoxious to others, right? Like he's a good dude that other dudes, a good dude that other dudes like to be around. Like you can build around Jet and anything that would, would maybe alter that course, I would be very, very reluctant to do if it were me. Yeah, that's a great point. And 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 along that line, Yusef Hayat. Uh, what do you guys think of him? If you looked, I, there isn't a lot to look at, unfortunately. But doesn't I mean? I know this has been the ordinary comparison, but doesn't he remind you a bit of Franz? Maybe Franz Light. I mean, he's playing. He's Lebanese. He's playing in 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 France. Uh, nobody really is heard much about him. I don't think Michigan was enthusiastic about publicizing their recruitment of him. And I, I, the, the tape I could look at, uh, I liked, I like what I saw there a lot. There's a lot there and he's not a one and done. He's probably a two or three year guy, but there, there's a lot to like in his game. In my, in my opinion, now, this, I don't is, know- this is a dude. This was, this was yeah. who I, again, I didn't know it was Yusef High. I just knew yeah. Joey Baker and an international guy. Mm-hmm. That was what I heard when I was, you know, sort of feeling around about Amani Bates. So this is a dude. Like, if if it works out with Yusef Hyatt, he'll be the guy. And then, it, you know, let's go get ready for the season kind of thing. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I, who I see is a poor man's, a, a poor man's um, uh, Franz, especially defensively. Yeah. Guys, I'm curious what, it, what, based on what you saw, what you've read, Brian, what you think of. Yusef Hyatt. Well, uh, he's he's not quite as long and lanky as mm-hmm. as Franz is, but I do think that he is in the same kind of mold where he's going to be a guy who can guard maybe two through four 
five in a pinch. I don't know if he's six eight or six ten, but um, those two six eight. I think he's six eight. Well, you see him listed at different heights, and like, like which one's real? I don't know. Some of those are meters, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, he's a guy who probably isn't going to be taking a lot of guys to the hole. Doesn't have a whole lot of lateral agility, um, but seems to have a good shooting stroke. Like has a floater, has some skill is a guy who can like Franz be a secondary driver. Uh, and I think that, you know, he runs the floor really well and mm-hmm. that's for a, a guy his size. That's pretty important. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would take him in a heartbeat. Like he's already 19. So I don't know if he's got a whole lot of NBA upside unless he just completely blows up, but you know, he was coming from Lebanon. So he was maybe behind the times there. Cause you know, he didn't get to, to France until a couple years ago. So it's, uh, he might be a late bloomer. He's a guy who, I don't know, he's not the same kind of player, but he kind of reminds me of Bones Highland. You know, mm. which, like there's this guy who just kind of comes on the radar and you look at his tape and you're like, yeah, I'd take that guy. Um, yeah. And he's definitely going to be a plus athlete at the Big Ten level. He's an above the rim player guy, I think uh, would be a great pickup. Yeah, now the the noise is he's down to Michigan, Xavier, Xavier uh, who else? Two other players, Wake Forest and, and, DePaul. Uh, and DePaul. But it sounds like from his comments, it's Michigan and Xavier. And the head coach at Xavier is who? who? Sean Miller. Sean yeah, Miller. Back. Right. And and so the other point is that I don't, I, I don't think he can visit. There are certain visa issues. So he's going to have to make his decision uh, by Zoom or whatever. Which Hopefully my guess he is, doesn't like being screamed at. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know uh, beyond that. I mean, it seems like Cincinnati or Ann Arbor is an easy choice, but you wouldn't know that unless you've actually been there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had that same thought. Like, how do you uh, quantify for him, for someone who's not just unfamiliar when it comes to the difference between Ann Arbor and Cincinnati? But I mean, he's just, I mean, the, the country, the, the just, yeah. He, he just doesn't really can't really conceptualize the the difference between Xavier and, and Michigan. That's why he's sort of talking about them in the same breath, like right. like they're similar and they couldn't be. I mean, they, these are not the same. Uh, you know, if you if you believe that the coaching is equal, I'm not saying that he that they are. I'm just saying the way that he talked about him. He said, hey, look, Sean Miller was very successful at at Arizona. Sean Miller had Lori Markinen. Right, and not at Xavier, but he had Laurie Markinen. Well, you look at Jawan and the success he's had at Michigan with bigs, with international bigs. Right, I mean, it's like, hey, man, this this is just. And then Michigan versus versus Xavier, this is not equal. Uh, yeah, how do you convince a guy of that? How do you show a guy that over Zoom is a challenge for Michigan? Yeah, well, that's you could just what I see the issue. Show them all of Xavier's NCAA victories in the past five years. <laughs> <laughs> that's a point. Pretty, but you know, you know, but you know, I think it's a, this is the problem for Michigan. I mean, I think he would, I would be very confident he would be here if he was actually visiting Michigan and visiting the other places. But I, I'm less confident given the fact it's just going to be a telephone zoom zoom decision. So you just, you just don't know how much do I trust Sean Miller? Uh, zero. And, and so who knows what's, 
what's what's being said there. Incidentally, along these lines, you know, we we're talking about team players, and I don't know if I mentioned this two weeks ago or not. The more I look at Doug McDaniel, the more I like him. And I saw some stuff from his coach this week, and he played in a in a good high school program. And the coach there said that he's a a better player than Jeremy Roach, who's at Duke. Uh, that he's a better player, a better passer than Aaron Thompson, who's the all-time assist leader at Butler, and that he's uh, better than Eric Green, who is the uh, player of the year, I think, in that conference at uh, at Virginia Tech last year. That sounds and like you talking about a Lithuanian boxer from 1950. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is is the head coach, but he was the head coach of these other guys too, his high school head coach. And so, and the more I look at his tape, the more I say, yeah, talk about a guy whose head is bright in a basketball game. And and I mean, I think he'll be the best passer at Michigan since Eric uh, Eric Turner. Wow. Uh, who, who I think has been the best passer I've ever seen at Michigan. And, and so uh, I'm really optimistic. You know, I'm thinking more and more now defensively, I don't know what they're going to do with Doug. I admit that that could be a problem, but, but as an offensive offensive player, I really, really am getting enthusiastic about him. And I think this may work out just fine in the backcourt with, uh, with what they have right now. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, I'm just, uh, I'm not really looking at this year as uh, him being a, uh, you know, a a big time impact guy. Uh, But I hope over the course of four years that maybe by the end of his career, he could, you know, he could approach, you know, giving you some some X-like contribution on the court. I'd like to see that at the end of his career. I just, I think it's going to be a minute before he's able to be a uh be a, a a guy that you rely upon and give you know give him the ball and let him run the team. I, I just don't know that that you'll get that this year. I would probably definitely gonna see it be Jalen Llewellyn, but yeah, I would not I think be, so. I would not be surprised if you see that the next guy that they look at in terms of initiating the offense and people might scoff at it, but Jet, you watch. Oh I, you I, watch. I think Kobe Buffkin is a guy. And, and Kobe, and Kobe, yeah. and Kobe. Like, he was a combo, and I think that Michigan will have a couple of combos in the backcourt, and there won't be, like, a clear point guard. And the thing about Doug is, like, I, I like his potential. I think he's got upside as a pull-up shooter, which is really important these days, and he's obviously a great passer, super quick. Five-foot-nine freshman point guard. Those guys are not <laughs> right. instant stars. Right. They take a minute <laughs> to figure out how to get their shots up and yeah, get there, there have been a today. few exceptions uh, over the years. One who played in our County, uh, cause Earl Boykins was a star at five, three in minute one. And, uh, you know, so okay. it can Earl be Boykins done. is like the outlier of all outliers. I know, I know, but it can't be is like every good. NBA dis- the discussion that starts with Spud Webb, right? Like, you know, you're already talking about the, the, yeah. the one guy who uh, I hear the trend. Yeah, I, hear I just I hope Craig winds up being right that that we're talking about the the best passer since uh, Eric I, Turner. I mean, there was some some good point guards at Michigan. It had 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 some pretty good assist number. Gary Grant had some yeah. good assist numbers. That, that's Doug's thing though. Gonna... Doug is it, it, like the uh, you know my theory on this is that 
you know, Coach Howard had two guys whose last name was Howard on the roster, and he's like, how am I going to get these guys the ball? And just sorted the entire class by passer rating and was like, that guy right there. That's- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know who's going to be the Terry Mills of the point guards and call in and berate <laughs> about this take. <laughs> Well, the guy hasn't played a single minute yet, so I don't think anyone's going to berate me yet. It'll happen, there's no doubt, and there may be justification. All right. So, hey, I got I have a question I need you guys to, to ponder during the break. And it, it sort of stems from the conversation we had about Eric Backage, where, you know, Seth was very, very clear in stating that we were our, – our expectations for Michigan competing with Clemson to keep Eric, those – expectations were unrealistic. And I wonder as we, you know, as we see not just baseball lose, uh, you know, Eric Backage and you got some players in the portal softball, Storaco goes to Oklahoma. I don't know all the reasons behind that. But then you look on the football recruiting side of things and you really see some, some you really see some developments there Um with with some of the schools elsewhere and the success that they're having that I know there's a long way to go, but it does make you wonder with the current landscape, might we have to adjust our expectations there too? Ponder that for a, a beat and we'll get to that on the other side here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Yeah, I'm going to... How much groaning do you want me to do while I ponder this, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, hey, man, I, I'm getting uh, – for a long time, I thought it was unlikely that Dante would go far away from home. I'm starting to come off of that. Oh, oh really? I'm starting to think that it is, it is more of a possibility than I or people around him thought it to be when he first started talking about it. So where is that, Alabama? Oregon is Oregon is Oregon definitely is trending up with him. Yeah. Oregon is definitely trending up with him. So, yeah. well, he we, we'll see. But uh, I mean, there are other guys that Michigan Michigan's recruiting, and we do have JJ McCarthy for th- uh, for three three more years, right? Probably. Right. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's um, not a disaster. Not, look, what we're talking about now is not something that they're going to feel right for the next year or two. I mean, you know they they have enough you know, enough on the roster now and coming in in this class to sustain them for a couple of years. But if their if their level of recruiting, um, if this isn't like a huge anomaly, like what we're seeing right now has to be has to be a huge anomaly, then man, we're in for a we're in for a new sort of competitive landscape. Well you've you've sound very I mean, like a lot of fans sort of down on what's going on in Michigan recruiting right now. Well, they they have some there's some uh some things to be concerned about. Not Stand panic, by guys. Come back on Not panic, but there's some things to be concerned. So roundtable crew. Uh, you know, I do my best to to try to offer perspective to uh especially recruiting fans, right? You know, it's it's early in the recruiting cycle. This is not time to panic. You look in the in the rankings right now, you'll see Alabama low in the rankings. You'll see AM low in the rankings. You know those schools aren't going to finish. Northwestern is top 15. <laughs> North, and, and I think they'll probably finish with a top 25 class when all is said and done. But their class is clearly buoyed by 
uh, class number, how many guys they have in that class. Uh, but it, at the same time, is a high-quality class for them. But when you look at Ohio State, who's not ever going to go anywhere, you look at Penn State, who, for whatever reason, James Franklin continues to <laughs> recruit at a high level, right? Notre Dame suddenly uh, recruiting at a higher level than we're accustomed to seeing Notre Dame recruit at. And the same thing with Michigan State. So I'm calling attention to those schools because those that's the immediate competition. More than looking at what Bama's doing and what AM's doing and you know what Clemson's doing. It's the your immediate competition, your contemporaries. And all of those schools are recruiting at an, a very, very high level. So it begs the question, how far will Michigan recover in this cycle? Like, you know, is it can they you really think that they can catch Penn State or Ohio State or or are we talking about just catching Michigan State at this point? And then with the the convergence of NIL and the portal, and we're sort of seeing the effects more and more, especially NIL-wise, are we going to have to brace ourselves for the kind of reality that that Seth tried to brace us for when, on the baseball side of things? I'm curious if you think there are signs of concern or is it not anything to see here at this point? I think you've got to be concerned, right? Like you've just mentioned that all of Michigan's immediate competition seems to be recruiting pretty well in the NIL level, and Michigan is not. I mean, they're languishing in a range that is usually not where they are. Um, they're losing out on quarterback recruits that they should have an in with. And it, I, I, I am concerned. And I think the NFL dalliance, a lot of uh, personnel turnover, we've talked about this before, isn't really helping. And I think those are, are transient things. Um, I also think the NIL issue is a transient thing because Michigan is maybe dipping its toe into the water when everybody else is going full bore. That won't last, but I am concerned that we're going to be a little bit behind the behind the curve here for a few years. Yeah, my my measure my measure for concern uh, really has been focused mostly on the quarterback recruiting dynamic with CJ Carr and and Dante Moore, knowing that Michigan's going they're going to get some guys, they're going to get some highly rated guys here uh, later in the cycle. Maybe we can't predict exactly who they're all going to be, but they'll they'll get you know, some four stars, some top two, four, seven guys in there. But what would be particularly concerning to me about the quarterback dynamic is that these are two five-star quarterbacks here, two five-star quarterbacks in the state, close proximity to Michigan or to campus, both of whom had really, really deep ties to Michigan. And if you miss on those two guys, uh, that, that I think makes you have to kind of look and see, okay, what, do we have some issues that we really need to pay some attention to here to correct if we can't get either of those guys? Now, jury's still out on Dante Moore, uh, but I'd be lying to you if I said that I am less confident about my and less confident in my belief that he won't go away than I was, say, you know, a month or two ago. I I, I think he's I'm not as confident in that position anymore. You know, there's some good in this, some potential good in this, I mean, a, a lot of potential good in this. I mean, yes, I think a lot may be going on because most schools or many schools are are not in the NIL deal. They're in the pay for play deal. And this is what what Manuel and, and Harbaugh have tried to 
stress that no, we're tr not transactional. We're we're, we're transformational. Uh, we're not going to shy away from NIL monies, but we're not going to do pay for play either. Ohio State made it clear that they're right in the pay for play basket. Uh, <laughs> we need thirteen million dollars to to ward off the portal. What could be clearer? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so. I think in the long run or in the mid run, that may play play better for Michigan. But also, I'm not such a big stars guy. Uh, you know, I know they have some meaning. Uh, Brian and others have said, hey, a five star is likely to be better than a four star is likely to be better than a three star. Well, that's all true. But if you look at the first round of the, of the NFL draft every year, it's about half, two and three stars. And so the question is, whether you can evaluate. And if you're forced to evaluate, maybe you become John Beeline. Uh, uh, in other words, I, I mean, you know, and they have done a good job. Michigan has done a good job with guys who are not big, big time high school recruits. They, they have, but number one, they had some ins that they don't have anymore to find those guys. Number two, the industry Wait, is so hold much on, better. Hold on, Seth. What, yeah. is that, what does that mean? They had uh, like they Courtney had... Morgan like telling them, hey, wow. is the Monty Dent guy, call him right now, yeah. right? And, and that's how they found some of those guys. Uh, two, the industry is so much better at this now. So what Michigan, uh, Michigan does have a, a very good talent evaluation program. So does Notre Dame. I think what shifted is that Notre Dame is now winning those battles, but you they they've had guys forever where like they look at him, he's a three star nobody, and then he blows up to a four star or like a Morian Walker should have been. It's just the guy was too skinny for anybody to give him credit. But like you have they they've been good at getting those guys identified. They do tend to blow up later in the cycle and they do tend to get late offers in the at the end of the cycle. If they're going to be losing those guys to Notre Dame and Penn State because both those programs kind of recruit on their level, that is a problem. If I, the, the quarterback thing, I think, is just too narrow because it could just be like maybe C.J. Carr does not want to be the car at Michigan. Maybe Dante Moore just doesn't want to be coached by Matt Weiss. I don't know. I'm making these up. But I'm just saying that there could be factors that just relate to those kids specifically where like they don't want to – be shoehorned into playing at Michigan. But the NIL thing is a big deal. Michigan does have to start looking at this real. And it was very frustrating yesterday when they had JJ out there talking about how, oh, I'm, we're not going to have NIL uh, be something where you pay for play. We deserve, we should earn it. We all, we all should be, we should be getting in the car that we belong in now and then earn a bigger car. Like, you've earned it. If you have gotten to this level, if you are a top recruit in the country, that means you have put in ungodly amount of hours to making yourself a great football player and demonstrating that you have the talent and the ability to learn and push yourself to be better. Those guys, to get to that level, to where you're already a five-star recruit, those guys have pushed themselves so hard that they have earned it already, and that's what they're getting. They are valuable to these schools as recruits. And Michigan's got to start looking at this as, yes, you, you pay people when they provide value to your institution. That is how it ain't, works. Ain't happening. It, it, I mean, Michigan has made it clear this is not happening. And as long as Ward Manuel is the, is the athletic director, as long as Jim Harbaugh is the coach, it ain't happening. And so Michigan's going to have to do something else. And I'm not saying, and, and, and to me, the, th the short-term problem is, is the dalliance with the Vikings. I mean, and other coaches are using that. 
They're saying the program's unstable. They can point to things in the program that looks chaotic and unstable. And, and that to me is more likely the short-term problem. I still think you can evaluate. And even if recruiting services have gotten better, uh, which I'm not denying, uh, three years from now, you're still going to look at the first round of the NFL draft and it's going to be half two and three stars, same as it's been for the last 10 years. And, and that's, that's just, and so it's going to be yeah, incumbent so. on Harbaugh and his staff to actually be able to, to evaluate, you know, what's out there. Yeah. So I look, will there be a, an even greater premium on evaluation? Probably um, you, you, you hope at a place like Michigan that you can, to have your cake and eat it too, that you can recruit at elite level and understanding that you are going to have more limitations academically and NIL approach wise than some other schools. And, and then you fill in those gaps with, uh, with your talent evaluation and development skills so that you can incorporate both. But if you had to skew so far on the, the side of development, then what's your expectation for how often you compete? Like, cause I mean, I could give you yeah. some, some great examples of guys that Michigan has developed here over the last few years, Hassan Haskins being uh, maybe the one of the most vivid, right? Well, this was what, his senior year? I mean, are you, are you looking to compete with Ohio State every year? Is that realistic? Or, or are we putting that aside and saying, okay, as long as you can compete with Ohio State every four years, then, then we're fine. That's, that'll be the new expectation. That's kind of the crux of my question here. I mean, we all aspire to have a program that competes perennially with the elites. Are we going to have to adjust that aspiration, right? To say, okay, we aspire now to compete every few years with the elites. What say you? I mean, yeah, I I think that Craig's point about the, the draft is kind of overlooks the fact that there are far fewer four and five stars and three and two stars. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you do have a higher hit rate there. You do have a better chance of getting a player there. So everybody gets a certain number of rolls of the dice and you want to weight those dice as much as possible. And Michigan won't be doing that if uh, they uh, don't recruit at the level that they used to. So the issue is, yeah, they'll, they'll probably have some up years where they're able to do what they did last year, but, yeah, if you want to consistently compete with Ohio State, then you got to do better than what you're doing right now. I, I agree with this if we're just rolling dice. If we're rolling dice, you're absolutely 100% right. But what I'm saying is Michigan in the current environment, not being able to go into the trans, into the, into the portal, not, uh, not deciding to, to, to be in the bag game in the, in the pay for play game, whether, I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying Seth is wrong, but that's how it shouldn't be. But Michigan isn't going to do it. And then fire Ward. I'm not, no, if they want to, Jim Harbaugh wants to win. Jim Harbaugh wants to, wants to win football games. He's got a boss. I don't believe that Jim Harbaugh is, is looking at this out and saying, you know what, I don't want my players to make because he's been consistently for the players in a lot of different things. I don't think I've ever I think, seen yeah, Jim well, Harbaugh. I think he's expe- hold on. I yeah. think he's explained this very yeah. well. He's he's made it very clear and been very consistent with this. Uh, you know, not just when he's in the media, but when he's talking to people off camera that this transactional, transformational uh, you know, sort of 
dichotomy, if you will, he's that's him too. Like that's his I, belief. I, I know because Jim has always found a way to get it done. No matter what the scenario, you give him Stanford and they won't let guys in. He's like, okay, fine. I'm going to make it work anyway. Right. You give right. him Michigan and all the brouhaha that we got and the Michigas, like, like he makes it, he gets it done anyway. And Jim's trying to find a way to get it done anyway. He's, Ward says, these are the parameters. Jim says, okay, I'm going to figure out a way because that's what Jim's always done. But Michigan does not need to set parameters like this. And if Ward cannot see the competitive advantage that Michigan has in a world where your donors can provide money to get better players, then I don't know what are we doing. Like well, that's what we were for NIL in part because this is supposed to be good for Michigan because we can raise more money than anybody else. But you're going to have to play the game the way that everyone plays the game. And I'm sick of this concept that like, oh, these guys haven't earned it yet. They've earned it. They are valuable. The re- the fact that we are talking about Dante Moore on multiple episodes of this podcast, even though he's not played a single down of college ball, tells you that this guy is valuable to the institution of the University of Michigan. He should be paid if you're valuable to your institution. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that point, except that Oregon will probably pay him, and Michigan's going to say, no, you come here, you have opportunities. That's it. And that's the environment they're in. And that's the environment that they're going to have to somehow try and, and succeed in. It, it, is that hard? Sure. Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> and so, but it's just the way it is right now. So, yeah. yeah. I, mean, it is, I hear you. I hear you. He said it's time to go. I, I, oh, I think okay, that this is ingrained in, in the culture. Uh, and I think it, I, I think it's pretty uniform across the board. I don't think it's, it's just Ward that feels that way, or it's just Jim that feels that way. I think it's institutional. And how do you how do you adjust to the times? I think is the question for, for Michigan moving forward. Uh, we'll see. We'll continue this discussion uh, in the coming days and weeks. We got to get out of here, though. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Michigan Insider. I'm go blog roundtable back next Thursday. We'll talk NFL NBA draft tomorrow here on Sports Talk 1050 WTK the ticket. The official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station.